0: Hello everybody, welcome back. This week is Pashas Ve'eira, and we are going to be continuing Helchas Yichud. This is part four. So let's discuss the most commonly used heter in Yichud, which is known as Pesach, Pesuach, or Rabin, a door that's open to the Shush Rabin. So what this means, simply, is that if you have a door open to the street, then there's no Yichud you can be alone in a room or in a house with a man, or a man can be alone in a room with a woman, if there's a door open to the street. But the question first is what qualifies as open? Some place can say that this means actually open. And the idea is that it should be open enough that people can actually see in from the street. Now there's not just a crack, be open a little bit, enough that you can peek in. In that case, it basically is an invitation for people to stick their heads in and take a look, and therefore that's why it helps for yichud, because it creates a climate where you're not comfortable, you don't feel alone, you don't feel private, and therefore it's, it, it's not considered yichud. Other paiskim are more lenient, and they say that even if the front door is merely unlocked, is sufficient because even that creates this climate where we don't feel private and we're worried that someone might just pop in without knocking. Since this is a kiss, it's ideal to be machmir and keep the door somewhat open. However, this is not always an option, right? Sometimes it's not an option because you're by someone else's house and they don't allow it. And sometimes it's not an option because you're in a place that's not safe or it's really cold outside or whatever. There are situations which make it very difficult to leave the door partly open So you can rely on the door being unlocked, but if it's a real case of Yichud Be'Raisa, like a married woman alone with another man, with no one else there, then a rav should be consulted before relying on this heter. And ideally, a rav will try to see if there are other heterim or other things you can do to make the situation less serious. So, in short, the door lechadchila should be left slightly open, and if not, then generally you can rely on this heter of Pesach Pesach, even with it just being unlocked. Now, there are four situations where we cannot rely on the heter of Pesach Pusuch. Again, there are four situations where we can't rely on it. Number one, in the middle of the night, when people aren't really on the street anymore. So every neighborhood has a different time for this. In Manhattan or La Havdol in Yerushalayim, it's about, I would say, 1 a.m. There are people walking the streets, regularly up till very late at night. In our neighborhood, who knows? Maybe even 9 o'clock is already pushing it. There's almost no one walking down the street. It could be people driving, but there's no one walking. At most, I think we can push it to 10 p.m., but after that, you cannot rely on Pesach Pesach anymore. Number two, if you want to go to a different floor than where the door is situated, so if you have a first floor, and that's where the door is, so the whole first floor is okay, but if you want to start going to the second floor or to the basement, my uh, One of my Rebbeiners, Miller, from Shlita, from Toronto, he held that the whole concept of Pesach Pasuach is that a person will stick their head in and come in, maybe look around a little bit, but generally they won't start exploring your whole house upstairs and downstairs without permission, you know, unless they're a burglar. So you can't go up to the second floor or to the basement if the other person is there. If you are in the basement and they are on the first floor, it's okay. Or if you're on the first floor and they're in the basement, it's okay. But you can't both, the person who you are being miached with, you can't both be in the basement and you can't both be on the second floor. And the only heteropasoposol only applies for the person who is on the same floor as the door. Now, here in Silver Spring, we have all these split levels. So I guess whatever we would consider to be a first floor kind of place. You know, if you have the door on one level and the second level is just a half a staircase up and it's still the living room. So whatever we would attribute to the first floor, we can consider that you have the hetar pesel besoach. Number three, what happens if the door doesn't open up onto the street? It only opens up into... A courtyard, a backyard, or more, more most relevant is if you're in an apartment building and it only opens up into a hallway, or you're in an office building and it only opens up, opens up into the hallway. So although people from the street might have permission to walk in that particular hallway or backyard or courtyard, it doesn't have the same quality of openness that a street has. Some pipes can do allow this, and if it's necessary, the situation comes up where you, the only thing you have to rely on is the Pesach Basuach, but it only opens up to a hallway, you should consult the Rav, and the truth is that in that situation, ideally, you should really have the door open, not just unlocked, so if you're going to rely on the Hetar Pesach Basuach to a hallway, you need more than just unlocked, but again, this, I would count as one of the situations where you should normally assume you can't rely on the Passover If it's not open to the Shuram, not open to the street, it's open to a backyard, uh, courtyard, hallway, and something which is not really the street, simply you can't rely on the Hetar Passover Number four, also very, very relevant. If the person that you are alone with is someone who we call Liboy gasba, meaning someone that you're very comfortable with, like a niece or a nephew, coworker, Basically, most people that you're on first-name basis with and comfortable being alone in the room with negate this heter. So this is a big deal because it's with those people that you often get yourself stuck in a situation of yichud, like if they're staying over or you're hosting them or whatever, and or a coworker, you know, you're alone in the office with them, so you have the situation of yichud, and the hetter of pesah is very, very not simple. If you can be relied on in that situation, so even though there are here two sempeiskim that allow the hetter pesah again, it's very questionable, and a rab needs to be consulted. So, in four cases, a rab would have to be consulted before you could rely on the hetter pesah if it's late at night. Number one. Um, number two, on a different floor than the door. Number three, if it doesn't open up to the street, it just opens up to a hallway. And number four, if the person you're alone with is Lila Gaspa, somebody you're very comfortable with. Now, even though even if let's say leaving the door open is not an option for whatever reason, it doesn't meet these qualifications, there is another thing you can do. It's not quite as easy, but you can sit in front of an open window with, you know, the shades up. That's visible from the street. So if you're visible from the street, it's almost as if you're on the street. Of course, the drawback is that you can't really leave that position as long as there is Yichud. You'll have to stay in view of that window because once you leave the view of the window, you're now being over on the Yichud, but at least you have that option. You can be there for the time, like let's say you know there's someone in the house who's not there for a long time and you have a problem of Yichud, so you have that option. You can stand in front of the window, you sit in front of the window, work in front of the window. A lot of times this is a very good option, for example, when you're in an office setting when you have an appointment and you have an appointment with a man and there might be a problem of Yichud. So if there's a window onto the street, you know, which sometimes offices have, that is very helpful. And leaving the door unlocked in those situations doesn't always help because, number one, it's only unlocked into a hallway. And uh, also, could be sometimes there's no one around. If there is a nurse or a receptionist who can and will knock on the door at any given time if necessary, then you can rely on that. So if you have an appointment with a doctor, therapist, whatever, and there is a receptionist, that helps a lot. That that, that that works. But often people sometimes make an appointment and they make the appointment late at night after, you know, when it's best for them because, you know, it's after work hours but at that time, the doctor's office is sometimes deserted. The receptionist has left, everybody else has left, and you have a very serious question of yichud. It's very important when making an appointment and the appointment is with the opposite gender, make it during regular business hours so you'll have something to rely on for yichud because if you don't and you make it um, later, it's more likely that you won't have any heter and you'll have to cancel the appointment. It's a very serious situation, very difficult to find a heter for that, that kind of situation. Moving on to Parshas of the era. When Moshe Rabbeinu went to Parai the first time in last week's Parsha, he didn't provide any miracle or sign. When he, when he came the first time to the Jews, he performed three miracles, the stick turning into a snake, his hand being struck by leprosy, tarras, and the water turning into blood, but for Parai, did nothing. He went, and he gave over the message, my uh, children, call, so send them away. Then Parai just retorted, who is Hashem? They should listened to him, sent them away, and the situation got a lot worse for the Jews. This week's parasha, some six months or a year later, according to different parasha,
1: Marisha
0: ends, enters into Parai's presence again, before the machos begin, the very first time, before, before any machos, and then he makes a demonstration. Hashem tells him to make the demonstration. What's the demonstration? Aaron Akayin casts down his stick and it turns into a tanin. What's a tanin? Taf nun yud nun. What is a tanin? It's a sea creature of some form and some translate it as a crocodile, which would make sense given that we're talking about a Mitzrayim. Tanin, It's a sea creature. Why did they perform this miracle? Because Parai asked them to. The Pasuk says, when well, Pari will ask you to give him a sign, so Hashem tells them, perform this sign. Now what did this performance accomplish? Nothing. Actually, Pari started laughing at them, saying, you're doing magic in Nitzrayim, the, the magic capital of the world? He quarreled in his magician. Then he called in his wife, and then he pulled a school kid off the street, and they all duplicated the, trip, the trick. So what was the point of doing a My face, this miracle, if it will only have the opposite effect. It didn't impress him at all. What was the need to do it then? What was the purpose of doing it? But interestingly, if we look carefully at the psukim, it seems that Tari was kind of impressed. And he had to harden his heart to resist listening. The Pasik says, after he did this, after he performed this, throwing the stick and turning it into a tannin, Vayichazek leiv paroi, the Pari's heart was hardened, and he didn't listen to them. So it looks like there was some kind of a struggle here. And later on, after the Makkah of Dam, when his magicians du- duplicated the Makkah of Dam on a small amount of water, it says as well, the he didn't pay attention to this either. What does it mean to this either? Dam was the first Makkah. What, what, what does it mean also to this? It refers, Rashi says, to the sign of the stick turning into a tannin. Not only did he ignore the Makkah of Dam, which is the whole Nile River turning into blood, he also ignored it. He also ignored the sign of the stick turning into a tannin. But he wasn't even impressed by the stick. Why did he have to actively ignore it? So Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz Zatal, he says an amazing explanation, and he says a beautiful and a long musr is bringing out the lessons of this, and I will not be able to do justice, I'll say that now, but I, I just want to give over the idea because it's really a beautiful idea. He says that if Pari would have wanted, he would have easily seen many differences between what Moshe performed and what the magicians did. The Sefarna writes that although the magician created a tanin, they created this crocodile, it only had the outward appearance of a tannin. It was dead, and it was as dead as a stick. It had nothing inside of it. It was like a doll. Aaron's stick was not only a live tannin, which is something that only Hashem can do, breathe life into an inanimate object, but even after it returned to its state of a stick, it swallowed the other magician's taninim while still in stick form, meaning that even the inanimate can have a life if Hashem wills it to be so. There was absolutely no comparison between what they did and what should performed. It was like comparing an American girl doll to a live baby. Yeah, they might do amazing things to make a doll look lifelike, but is it alive? Can any sane person make a comparison? Yet, Paré dismissed what they did, though it clearly demonstrated godliness. Only God could do a thing like that. More importantly, it demonstrated Hashem's total control over the tannin. The tannin, this crocodile or sea creature, was the God of Mitzrayim. And not only was it the God of Mitzrayim, it was actually the very same God that Pare fancied himself an incarnation of. The Pasuk, it's in the it refers to Pare as Hatanan HaGadol. He thought he had the powers of the crocodile, which was the most feared predator in that part of the world, and it's possible that it's the most vicious predator in any part of the world. So he fancied himself that God, and Hashem said, watch, I have control over it. I can turn it into a stick. I can turn it back and forth. It was this attribute of dismissing without thought actually took effort. Paré hardened his heart to reject that little voice that kept on whispering to him, one second, they're not really the same. He had that little voice in his heart and he chose to ignore it. He chose likewise to ignore Makizdan once the magicians duplicated it Although they couldn't really duplicate that either. Why? Because magicians have no power over water. Long Gemara and Sanhedrin that demonstrates that in many ways. Magicians, whatever they do, it doesn't work on water. So how do they duplicate this, this the miracle of turning water to blood? So what they can do is, they have another avenue of magic, is they have certain serial spiritual beings, shade them, demons, they haul away the water quickly and bring other, they bring blood in its place. They do a swap. So that's, apparently possible with a small amount of water, but not with the whole Nile. The whole Nile River demonstrated that Hashem had control over the water itself, so it was obvious it wasn't magic, but he chose to ignore that as well. He had this little voice whispering that to him. He ignored it. He chose to ignore it. Now, Rabbi Rucham Zatzal writes that this midah of choosing to ignore is something that we all have a little pare inside us. We have to struggle and work on this. He says that a purpose, person's purpose in this world can only be achieved when he begins to recognize and notice the value of everything around him. He says the the highest level of this on Shabbos, when we end Mishmas, we end by saying, This is the obligation of all creation, meaning us, to praise Hashem, the of the Shabach, Greater, more than all the shires and seshbachas that David and Yishai, your, your servant, your anointed, said. Which means we have an obligation to compose a Sefer Tehillim. Each one of us, to compose a Sefer Tehillim that rivals the one that David and composed. That's mind-blowing. How can we be obligated to do that? So Rabbi Ruham explains, because the more we choose... To recognize each thing's inherent value, its worth, how much it means to us, the more we will fill with praise. The purpose of all brachis, says Rabbi Ruchem, is that, to recognize the value of the food we're eating, what we would be without it, how amazing it is, and who created it. That's why, he says, Chazal were very makbid. They're very, very stringent on the topic of not causing humiliation to food, meaning don't step on it if it's in the street, pick it up, throw it away, don't waste it in a careless way. Why? Can someone embarrass food? It's inanimate. doesn't have feelings. But he says this is the core of the most important mida we can acquire, the mida of paying attention and recognizing value. Food is so important to us. We can't live without it, right? Rav writes that he was once stuck outside without gloves in the Polish winter, and he had to borrow gloves from someone. He thought to himself, yeah, it's true, gloves aren't that valuable, they're cheap, but when you need them and stuck without them, oh, are they important? That's the inherent value of each thing. When we recognize it, we're stepping one step away from this highly destructive mida that Pare had to choose to ignore. Where we see that Pare's mida led him down the path of destruction, the opposite is true. When we walk on, work on the positive side of this media, paying attention, appreci- appreciating each thing's worth, it brings us to the highest levels of Avedis Hashem. He quotes a Chazal about the Mizbeach. We're com- commanded to make a ramp up the Mizbeach rather than steps, so that when the Kayan walks up the ramp, he won't spread his legs as much as when he would with steps. And spreading his legs would be somewhat humiliating for the Mizbeach. Rashi quotes this and adds that if Hashem requires us to be so thoughtful about an inanimate Mizbeach, how much more sensitive and thoughtful do we need to be about our friends who have feelings and know if we have caused them embarrassment? Rav Rucham explains that everything begins with being conscious of what's around us, taking note of their inherent value, what service they are providing to us and lending them their appropriate Hashivas. If we lack this in the basic level, it plays out later in Bein Adam and being sensitive to people's feelings, and ultimately, to be sensitive to Hashem and Kvira, as we see by Pare. Rabbi Vigder Miller Zatzal, he trailblazed this path for us. There was nothing in the world that escaped his notice. If he'd eat an apple, he would first and foremost notice everything about it: the color, the texture, the sweetness, the taste, the pits, how they're shaped, where they're located, and so on and so on. And from there, he then demonstrated to us how it can bring us to the highest level of serving Hashem. But it all begins with this mida of noticing and paying attention, and that's what Parai refused to do. He hardened his heart, and he ignored, he chose to ignore... The obvious differences that there were between the Nisim and the nefloyas that Moshe Rabbeinu did and what his magicians did, and it was that up choosing to ignore, which is the, at the core of the struggle we have to be over the Hashem. Have a wonderful Shabbat and a good night.